Hi, my name is Visha Cadell, and I'm bringing you Behind the Face of Success, a podcast that delves into the untold stories of people that have reached great heights in their careers and the decisions, whether good or bad, they took to get there. Given the challenging economic times we live in, which are constantly in flux, being an entrepreneur not only takes a lot of hard work, but strength in embracing the highs and lows that comes along with being your own boss and running your own business. But when an entrepreneur fundamentally believes in their product and what it can offer the world, they'll do anything to make that dream happen. So my guest today is one that does just that. He's a visionary entrepreneur, Richard Yu, the founder of UU, a brand specializing in wellness products. He has a passion for designing products that enhance well-being and in fact brought the world's first long hot water bottle to the market, which quickly became introduced to royal households, department stores like Harrods and hotels. He's also launched the UU Ice Recovery Bottle. Now, Richard's journey is quite an interesting one because he actually started in the media industry, an area that I'm really familiar with. So I can't wait to dig a little bit deeper and learn more about his journey. Well, hello, Richard. It is lovely to have you here today. Thank you for making the time to speak to me. So much going on with new product launches. So I'm excited about today. Thank you. Yeah. It's it's great to be with you and uh, hang out with you for a while and uh, hope it goes well. <laughs> it will always go well. <laughs> Just to set some context for anyone that might be listening today that wants to get to know a little bit more about the man behind, you know, the UU bottle. So tell me a little bit more about how you became the man you are today. The man. The man. How did I become the man, the old man that's... Um, <laughs> Man, it's like, yeah, it's. I, I just want to be as authentic and real. Obviously, that's what everyone wants, right? And it's hard to talk about myself. I don't do many of these things very often. So to be in the moment and sit back and look back and and uh, it's a jumble sale, isn't it? Of like borrowed quotes and uh, <laughs> hired parts. But um, I was born in Sri Lanka in 1972. And immediately it was jumble sale because my mother is half Italian, half Dutch. My father's half Chinese, half Burmese. And I had this amazing grandmother who was um, this tough old Burmese lady who cooked loads of food. And um, in her later years, she used to have this funny little walk. I remember, bless her, love my grandmother. And I grew up in Sri Lanka, you know, with this amazing background, tropical island, fishing and playing cricket and running around. And I think that was a really cool kind of free base. But unfortunately, our parents broke up, as many do. And they moved to separate continents, Australia and England, far apart as they could. They still remain kind of, you know, all right with each other. But um, we got separated. So that was, I suppose, uh, something to deal with, right, at that age. So then I moved over with my mum and lived with my sister and my mother in England and went to Australia every now and then. Like I'd spend some time with my dad. So sometimes we'd go up and down, like, you know, spend six months there and six months here. And, you know, sometimes I spoke in a bit of an Aussie accent Then I got a bit more English but sway around with accents and stuff. That's pretty much the base. I love that. I love the fact that you've got so many mixtures of cultures that you've been introduced to through your family, mm. which is really quite interesting because my heritage is Indian. I'm born and bred in, in London, but I've always been like, which part of my culture should I identify with? And mm. who am I? 
because I was nine there, right? I had a totally different accent. So I had to like learn how to cope with things like, you know, when I, my sister got straight into the, you know, she became very British very quickly. But when I speak to my mother, I still flip from, you know, Sri Lankan accent to like, I can speak to my hello mate, to my, you know, and then oh, g'day mate, you know, I just flip. Even if there's three people there, I, I don't even realize I'm doing it. It's a bit bizarre for the people listening, but yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. I think accents also, like if your brain is a sponge, you can pick up accents quite quickly too. Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not even Northern, but I say laugh and bath, but I, Ooh. it's a funny thing actually how your brain sort of like. And I wonder why we do that. Yeah. Why do we do that? You know, yeah, like it's I, weird. I, I, it's weird, right? Like there are some people I admire who just, it's like they are what they are, right? It's like you're trying to fit in. Why, you know, yeah. it's, it's a good thing to analyze. Like why do we flip? Who am I? Who are you? Well, we're going to find out a little bit more. Who are you, Richard? But, you know, one of the things I found really interesting about you and your life is because of the fact that we come from similar worlds, actually, originally. And Mm -hmm. despite you becoming a founder and a CEO of your own business, you actually started out in media, which is my stomping ground. So I would love to know more about the evolution from your life from going from media to where you are now as an entrepreneur and going out on your own. Like, when did you decide to do that? Talk me through it. I love sport, right? Growing up in Sri Lanka, I used to play a lot of cricket and I love to be outdoors. And I think when I moved to England and when I moved around to Australia and England, one of the things that I had to learn was to cope with fitting in coming back to the accents, I guess, right? Coping with fitting in. And my dad was, you know, he owned some Chinese restaurants and they used to put me up on the on the table because I had cute fat cheeks and they had to make me like perform in front of people and whatever, right? So I found it really quite a comfortable thing to talk to people, right? I was always quite confident with just being amongst people. And I wasn't very good at school because I couldn't concentrate very well. So I still can't concentrate very well. So I think the natural thing for me to get into was sales. You know, I really struggled with like, what do I want to do? And my uncle once told me, he said, some people will always need to eat. And because of the Chinese background, we, I got put into Chinese restaurants. And I, I remember working at my uncle's restaurant, great training from six days a week in, in London when I was 17, paid 70 pounds a week. I'd have to work from 11 in the morning till about two in the morning mainly cleaning dishes, cleaning tables. I couldn't speak Chinese. I was an embarrassment, right? Because I couldn't speak Chinese. So I had to cleaning, you know, getting screamed at by the Chinese chefs. And and I, I hated it. But I went on into this kind of hotel area where I was waitering. And again, it's this communication area, right? So the first proper job I got was a sales job. And I was really good at it. <laughs> it's just I've sold more than everyone else like 10 times more it's just something that I was just really comfortable with and I loved cold calling people I loved being in a position where suddenly I was just in front of someone completely different it helped having a good product to sell you can't like just blag it right you have to feel something for what you're selling and that that was always important I've never heard someone say that they've loved cold calling (laughs) oh my god that was my thing I mean these days people are so anxious right no one you can't call your friend up, you know, pretty much like, oh, what are you doing? You know, it's like, but those days, there was no other way. You just cold called people, just rocked up. That's how I did it with the UU. So I got into sales and then I just went from one sales job to another, selling all kinds of things from advertising in magazines to, I mean, mainly, you know, print sales in ads, ads in mags, ads on toilets. 
just selling different kinds of things. And I just went from one company to another, spent two or three years at each one. And eventually someone gave me a job selling advertising space on billboards. And that then moved into online. And that's kind of how I got into media. And then I met all these agency people. I was never on the agency side. I was never a cool kid. I was always the the sales guy. There's a big difference between being an agency guy and a sales guy. That is really, really interesting because I'm also hearing so much about like communication skills and the love for speaking to people. And, you know, when you're working in a sales job and you're working in new business or whatever that might be, it's about people is the people-led relationship, right? And selling is a bit of a lost art sometimes too. You know, your point about cold calling, I, I don't know how often that happens these days. It's not, selling is very different today, right? The equivalent is a LinkedIn approach now, I think. You know, it's a cold LinkedIn message. You know, the thing is about sales, right? There's not many people like it. And these days, actually, it's the people that don't like it are probably the best at it because you don't, no one really wants to be sold to, right? But being a sales guy in the old days and actually loving it is probably one of the best jobs in the world because you really are in control of your day. Meaning if you go to lunch, as long as you're with a prospect who might spend some money with you, you really can just not come back to the office. <laughs> you know, And you really can just do whatever you want as long as you make that sale or you make that, you know, mm. you're successful. So sales was fun to me because you just got to, as long as you had a great product and you were fearless to get in touch with people, you could be creative on how you made that order. So I always enjoyed those. I love that. Talking about fearlessness, let's mm. talk a bit more about you moving into this whole other area that you decided to embrace, which is becoming an inventor of your own product. So again, like you had to come up with a creative idea, you had to come up with Thing that you love so talk to me about when did that start it's just amazing right I mean how many of us have an idea and then how many of us follow it through I've had millions of ideas and not followed them through and this one just sort of it was there was a lot of luck my particular thing I was sitting around talking about this UU product which I've, I've got here you know I was sitting around with a traditional square hot water bottle in my heart I've talked about this before so I'll just whiz through it but hot water bottles are funny things right people really hug them you know they, they really hug them and they use them for pain relief because heat is good for pain or if they're just really freezing cold but you really hug them it dawned on me when I was hugging one that they're, they're quite smelly you know? <laughs> and, they're, and they're really small and kind of taking it to bed and I'm thinking why aren't they nicer why aren't they a bit better and they're not even called anything. They're just called hot water. But it's just one of those forgotten products. It's like an ironing board, but you don't hug ironing boards, right? So I thought, you know what? Like, why don't we just, yeah, make a nice one? Make it. And I had this fascination about making it long because I was sick of moving it around my body. Everyone has ideas, like I said, and it was a complete accident. You know, no one, I don't know. I was quite bad at being an employee anyway, but I just fell into this. I got lucky. I called up a few friends who led me in the right direction and one thing led to another and it kind of made sense to try and make this work it became quite popular with everyone I showed you know like, yeah yeah you know give it a go mate you know so you move from one step to another you put a cover on you do a drawing you show people they go yeah 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 and you get encouragement and eventually you think well all right then I actually had another job at the time but when things were at a stage where I thought okay maybe I'll take a punt and give this a go 
I did. Invention is a funny thing, isn't it? Because mm. in my brain, I've always assumed you have to like learn how to invent something. But perhaps that's because I come from a tech background where like people invent things that are generally in the engineering team. But you drew something and you were like taking this around. But then how do you create that? Yeah, I had a lot of help. I drew something. I'm a bad drawer, you know. And my partner at the time was a very capable economist. And she, you know, she drew it. She figured out how much water it would need to have in it because we didn't want to have, you know, there were some technical things. I wanted it longer, but you don't want to fill two kettles when you're filling up a hot water. You still want it to be practical and fill up with one kettle. So she drew it. And I got really lucky because hot water bowls are made with rubber usually, right? And Sri Lanka is one of the biggest exports of rubber. So I called up one of my mates in Sri Lanka and, um, and he said, yeah, I know the best rubber bugger in Sri Lanka. You've got to come to Sri Lanka. I'll introduce you to the best rubber bugger. And we went to Sri Lanka and met the best rubber bugger. And he made me a beautiful <laughs> rubber bottle. And so, you know, look, it falls into place. You can't do everything yourself, right? It, it just yeah. falls into place. So, so I got lucky, really, to be honest. And it was a good idea. It was just a clever kind of concept. And immediately when we took it to market, I walked into Harrods, right, you know, without a meeting. I mean, you've got to really believe in your product to be able to have the confidence to just walk into a luxury department store and start showing it around to people and not get kicked out. And, you know, within 45 minutes, we had a group of people just staring. It was just so pretty and beautiful. We had this amazing designer who did this beautiful cashmere design with mother of pearl buttons, and no one had ever seen a hot water bottle like it. So everything sort of just slotted in. We just got lucky. We made a really good-looking product and every time we showed it to someone they got excited I think there's some of that sounds like luck of course but some of that sounds like a lot about you actually you as a human being so the first thing you did was found an idea but you didn't just keep that to yourself and try and create it you went oh hold on a second I'm going to try and bring other people that are going to make this better and take that vision even further, which is really important because we can't do everything on our own, despite how much we believe in an idea. But also your point about cold calling, I really like, you know, my original reaction was like, oh God, cold calling, but actually walking into Harrods, you know, that's fearlessness, but also cold calling in real life, actually, right? So I really love the fact that you did that. <laughs> yeah, you know, do you have lots of ideas? I mean, always, but I haven't yeah. brought anything to life recently. No, but, you know, like, you know, I have loads and then you'd sort of take it as far as you can, right? And you, yeah. you, you write about it, you think, can this really, and you make you jot down all your notes and you think, can this make any money? Is it going to be useful? Will people like it? Is it going to fix anything? You kind of have this mechanism inside yourself to balance, like, is this going to be a good idea? And then you make all your notes and then I suppose this just went a bit further, you know? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about creating, I come up with an idea or like, this is what my high level strategy is. To your point, like I'm trusting other people to kind of bring that to life. I had this amazing girl, my team, Lindsay McGregor, who I hope is listening right now because I'm going to big her up. He was just fantastic of like taking that idea and taking it even further. You know, one of the things I remember you saying was the idea of turning this water bottle into, you know, it's kind of attributed to being smelly or something like that. One thing I always think about when I think about a hot water bottle is like, it's for your granny, right? And, or it's for like, I'll be like, oh God, I need to get it for my mom. Or when I'm using one, I'm just like, oh, I'm just going to be a little granny and just There's sit an there. There's association 
the association. Yeah, 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 exactly. But one really interesting thing that you did with, you almost like reframed it, right? To your point about more, it's a more beautiful thing, but also the people that you partner with. So you've had some really good partnerships before. You've worked with Team GB, you're working with athletes all the time. You're reframing what this product is to this market, which is very new and very fresh. Yeah, thanks, Michelle. That's a nice way to put it, a nice entrance. It's phases, right? You know, going back to sport or something, like everything's a phase. You can't simply straight away, we couldn't just go and give hot water bottles to sports people. I had to think about who was the um, the low-hanging fruit, I suppose. <laughs> who were the people that really loved a hot water bottle, right? I needed those early adopters in. I needed those guys to start because these are the people that, you know, our product was really expensive. We, we launched the most expensive hot water bottle in history in Harrods, 200 quid. So 10 on the first day, I mean, people were carrying them out. So we picked a really high-end market and our market was obviously this perfect gift. I mean, it's a 90 centimeter gold foiled white box with a gold foiled writing, Japanese gold leaf tissue paper with mother of pearl buttons. It was a real showstopper of a product. So wow, that's not for everyone, right? So we started for the first year, we were only selling cashmere hot water bottles, right? Something that you get for someone that has everything. Then someone came up to me and it was a progression, a phase. A girl walked up to me with endometriosis and she said, Richard, if you put a strap on this product and make it a bit less expensive, uh, you're going to change women's lives forever. And we said, like, wow, endometriosis. And I was introduced to chronic pain and all these amazing women who suffered with endometriosis. And then that went into Crohn's and colitis and fibromyalgia or, or people going through chemo. And, and, and this was our core audience, people who actually used a hot water bottle even in the summer, right? That was our core audience. Honestly, this has been going for 10 years. So nothing, we didn't suddenly go into sport or suddenly go into, into other areas. We started really high end and then slowly started to filter out until like two years ago, we were introduced to the Olympics and it was in Tokyo where it was 40 degrees hot. And that's when we just suddenly started to sell cold water bottles to sports people and athletes. Brilliant. I think that's a really interesting way of like taking something tired and old and introducing a whole nother market. And actually, I was wondering, how did you get it from royal households to then helping women to then helping athletes? Yes, it was a trade show, right? Yeah. Someone just came to us at a trade show. Um, so you go to the right shows and you have a nice stand and we were heating up hot water bottles and giving them to people passing by and they were flipping out, you know, so we just met some really interesting people there. And actually, we started off in Harrods and, and other department stores, and then we went into five-star hotels pretty much straight away. And and that was the way we flew. We, 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 we flowed. And so we've now talked about some of the really exciting stuff, but I just, you know, being an entrepreneur comes with loads of highs and lows, of course. And a lot of that, you know, you took a risk, you know, leaving that sort of corporate media job to go out on your own and in something that you really believe. And, you know, I just love to hear a little bit more about that. You know, did you ever feel like you wanted to quit? Did you feel like, God, this is too much of a risk? How did you feel during that time? It's a really, um, you've got to be willing to run into a burning house every day, right? I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but it's lonely, right? Because most of these things you have to be willing and you don't realize that you end up having to do this on your own, really. I mean, you know, you, there's not that many partnerships. If you look at around in, you know, big businesses, there's not so many people that do it with two or more, right? It's usually like one person. 
I mean, they have employees, but it's a tough old lonely road. Because I think the main reason is because this is behind the curtains, right? You're taking away a bit of the, the magic here, but it's mostly hard work, right? It's 95% grit and cleaning the house. You know, it's, a, it, it's I don't want to say crap, but there's just a lot of hard work. And um, like I, I, I was mentioning earlier, to the, you know, before we started the call about all the things you have to get right, all the content that you have to clean, all the customer services messages that you have to deal with. And unfortunately, you really have to be involved in every part of your business. So, and is it worth it, you know, for that 5%? Hopefully you think that it is and you keep going because um, the, the truth of the matter is, for me at least, right, is that I have to be involved in every single pocket of the business because if you're not, after, let's say you ignore your customer services for a year and then you go back and you look back through some of the emails and you see some of the messages being written to your customers that you value so much and you just think, oh, I can't believe they've said that. I can't believe they've written it like this. Why didn't they offer them a free one for this mistake? And that goes around across the whole of the business. So what really ends up happening is you really do, if you, you know, for me at least, and I'm thinking long-term, I'm not in a rush, right? I'm not here to, to just roll a snowball down a hill, make, get it massive and then jump off. I, you know, I'm rolling slowly, you know, I'm rolling the snowball really slowly, I'm making sure it's polished and packaged. And that's me. I, I want to get it right. And to do that, you have to be involved in, in everything. And that's exhausting. It sounds exhausting. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I think to your point around getting everything done, but in a, you know, let's be honest, like everyone's experiencing the tight squeeze of this economic climate that we're in. So taking risks at this point is such a tough thing to do, right? So how do you stay on that path? That's a good question. That's such a good question. Um, one of my employees told me last year we had a tough, tough, tough year. This Brexit thing has really been tough for a lot of um, English small businesses. Just really tough. And uh, uh, and the squeeze, right, on the consumer market with the pandemic and, um, and the cost of living crisis. She said that, look, it, we've got something special that no one else has got and we've got a great salesperson you know and that's what it is you you have to be creative you have to find it's like in the old days in sales you used to think you know it's a numbers game if someone doesn't get what you're doing move on to the next person that really is you know i got told that it's like a 30 30 30 or something you know like some people really love what you're doing some people won't get it and some people just don't you know they're not sure right so just keep going until you find the idea that you know you can squeeze and then go and find the people that um, want to work with you on it because and there you know there are other optimistic people out there i'm certainly one of them and you just keep rolling until you succeed and use it to your advantage. I mean, the cost of living crisis was actually a huge benefit for us because it's much cheaper to heat a kettle and warm a yu-yu and carry it around your home, you know, um, than heating your entire home. Uh, there's a benefit to the to the to the climate, and that was a huge narrative that we weren't really talking about before the cost of living crisis, you know. And now that's like a main part of our our story, right? I think there's something so interesting about finding opportunities in dark times, but also how they teach us to grow and change our you know, mindset and change our skill sets. And one of the things we've talked about this before, which is around failures and mistakes and how that 
makes you a bit better or teaches you to do something. I'm, I'm massive on embracing failures. And I'd love to hear something about, if you're willing to share, a failure that you may have had that you've learned from um, that you'd love to share with everybody else. Well, it's a really lovely question as well. It's not, it's not something that's talked about enough. So thanks for asking it, because I think it's something that you could spend ages talking about. You know, we had a policy at our company where we applauded mistakes right? <laughs> There's a one particular employee I'm thinking of, apart from me, who would quite often make the same mistake a few times. And when she's listening to this, she'll know who it is. <laughs> so there's only so many applause you can, like, <laughs> you're grinding your teeth on the third one. <laughs> but um, you cannot possibly get better until you fall down. I've got two young boys, and I love to teach them about mistakes. I love to spend time with them, you know, just saying, it's okay, man, you know, it's okay. Don't worry. Like, what did you learn from that? What happens if you go that way? And what happens if you go that way? I think you need to go that way, right? Because otherwise, you, you don't know what's there. And you've got to look both ways. You've got to fall down. You've got to make mistakes. It's so important. It's a bit of a cliche, right? You need to sort of think of some examples in your life where you've, you know, like you go to a restaurant, you eat the bolognese. It's terrible. Yesterday, I went to a restaurant yesterday in Finland and it was a beautiful restaurant. You know, the toilet was really clean and they had all these like perfumes and things. And I thought, oh, a lovely toilet with books and very homely toilet. I thought, that's a lovely toilet. And I came out and I ordered my kids some chicken and chips and it was 20 euros. You know, it's expensive in Finland, right? Kids, chicken and chips. And they had a frozen chicken for 20 euros. And I'm never going to order that again, am I? <laughs> I learned my lesson there. So, <laughs> so you basically went to this restaurant for the toilet experience then? <laughs> I just, you know, I, no, no, no. They had a chessboard. And my six, seven-year-old kid, seven last week, yeah. is really into chess. He's turned out and he it really enjoys beating my five-year-old kid son at chess that was the reason we went into oh nice nice we won't order the chicken again well don't order the chicken again that is a massive fail i've actually heard you say in the past life is long even though it's short and i often think about that quite a lot you know like life is long but it's also so short so when we're scrambling to get things done we have to stay present too, which is also very difficult. So, you know, like, I'd love to know from your perspective, how do you stay in the present when the future comes mm. so quickly? Mm. Yeah, it's changed, you know, as I've got older. I didn't know how to do that. I was really like someone that never really enjoyed the present. and Not enjoyed, just wasn't in the present. Now I, I look at my, I think um, not everyone's going to have kids, right? But I look at my kids and I look at pictures of them and I see how fast they're growing. I don't know, find something that's moving so fast. I think my son doesn't want to grow older. He's like, no, dad, I, I want to stay young. For me personally, it's my kids. They keep me younger. They keep me in the present. And it's from looking back at photographs of them and seeing how crazily they've developed. And, you know, pictures of yourself aging so fast. Four years ago, five years ago, you just think, God, you know, so trying to enjoy these moments and not kill yourself over something that you can't even remember. You know, we get so stressed out with silly things that honestly, in six months, in three weeks, sometimes in a few days, you don't even remember what it was. When was the last time you got annoyed? Oh, it was two days ago. I totally lost my temper and I was really upset. My whole morning was ruined. What was it about? I don't remember. What's the point? I know. I know. It's really, I often have to do that to myself, which is like remind myself this feeling is temporary. Yes, that's and good. you know it will pass. It will pass, like a bruise. 
But it, it's it's a mantra, right? You have to keep telling yourself that because you know you might not think about it all the time because you're in that thing, getting really stressed. We did a deal with the FA recently, the English Football Association, where we used our new ice products there. There's a lovely guy called Matt Connings, who's a commercial chap there, and we've become quite friends and uh, friendly. And he's an expert in breathing, and he, he he was teaching me how to breathe through the nose, out the nose, and through the breathing is really good. <laughs> breathing is there's a whole thing around you know breath work, so you it, it apparently helps with confidence and also calming you down. So I'm a massive believer in that. And to your point around stress, actually, and if you're getting stressed and things like that, you know, often if you're in a workplace environment, if you get stressed, you can rely on someone, you can rely on your peers or you can rely on your boss or whatever, but you are your own boss. And that's the thing about being an entrepreneur is like, who do you rely on? Who do you have a coach or do you, who do you go to? I used to, when I was a bit younger, um, I've got two employees that have been with me for eight years each, both of them since pretty much we started. They're the people that I really trust and they know me really, really well. And they really put me back on my, you know, back in shape where if I lose it or whatever. Sometimes I lose it, you know, and um, sometimes I think I want to lose it. Sometimes things are worth losing it a little bit on to let a little bit of steam off. But they've just known me for a long time and they've been on the journey with me a long time. Someone who relates with you, right? Who can relate with you and just go, look, it's all right, mate. Just relax, calm down and um, fish and chips. <laughs> and also just be so honest and that's kind of it yeah exactly yeah you yeah. be called out sometimes Call me out yeah you know you've had quite a journey so far if you've had to drop you know three hot tips to somebody that wants to become an entrepreneur that wants to get into this field wants to become an inventor what would you say what were the three things you'd give i haven't thought about this question by the way i have no idea what i'm going to say next so let me just take this straight off the top of my head. You know, if you really want to be an entrepreneur and if you really want to go about your own business, I think that's great. But um, you need the idea first. At the same time, you know, you, you kind of can make most things work. You just have to be prepared to do the hard work, be prepared to be on your own a lot and be prepared that it's 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 five percent of joy and success. You're always on holiday, but you're never on holiday right? That's kind of the, the tip. You can go anywhere you want, whenever you want to, but when your family are there and they need you to be there and you're looking at emails, it's not great. So I don't know. I'm not good at giving advice. I think it's something you have to figure out yourself. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, but that is also great advice, which is to try and figure it out and, you know, get the insight you need to get, but also think about your personal journey and work out how you want to take that great idea and take it forward. Ask yourself, you know, simple things like, what do I really want to do? Why do I want to do it? It's always the, the simplest questions that are the most profound. And um, where am I going? Who am I going there with? Who do I want to be with? Where did I come from? What do I want to learn and who do I want to learn from? And I suppose, you know, just allow your mind to shape itself. Yeah. and um, be patient with yourself yeah I agree because there is so much information out there right yeah, and is. there's also a very uh, there's a perception of entrepreneurs you've got so many different like you know it's quite glamorized too let's be honest and that's the interesting thing about when you're looking on the internet and you're trying to find that information you're like oh I'm going to be get rich quick I need to be an entrepreneur today and it's just interesting to kind of hear the journey that you've taken to get there but Figuring it out is kind of what you've been doing. What advice would you give, Visha? Well, and how to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Oh, God. Because you're 
you're, you're, you are an entrepreneur as well. Look at you, you're doing your own show and yeah. you know, your own ideas. What, what would your advice be? Oh my be? God, look at you putting me on the spot. I would say, I, I'm going to piggyback off one of the things that you said, which is when you believe in the idea and the purpose of the idea and the value that you're thinking that it's going to bring to the world, there is nothing that can stop you. So, you know, focus on that, but also have your business acumen around you. Think about the things you can do and think about the things you can't do and then work out the talent you need to bring in, the favors you might need to ask, let's be honest, because you start with a place of no money. And um, Let's stop everything. Can we have that? Can I have that answer, please? (laughs) That's a good answer. I've actually probably stolen it from a little bit of the things that you've been saying over this time. So that's actually very sweet. (laughs) Very generous. No, that's that's a really good answer. You know, one of the things about being a maker, which you are, is and I personally think about this quite a lot about people that make things is that you almost make things through your own lens, right? You create products and you create things by things that you know and or how you grew up or the things that you might need. How do you think about making things? How do you think about diversity in making, actually? I can literally take you into something we're doing right now. So we're about to, I wish I could share my screen to show you, but we're doing three new ice covers for our new ice recovery bottles. And my amazing designer, one of the two girls I told you has been with me for eight years, um, who without I would, you know, be in big trouble with. Um, she's really amazing. And she's put together like this, like array of about 10 different covers. We sent them to all our staff and everybody chose their top three, right? Eventually, I show them to everyone I know and I choose them myself. <laughs> so, so at the end of the day, I do make the last choice. So how do I do it? Yeah, share the opinion, get as many. But ultimately, though, it's something you have to like. You trust yourself. You have to trust yourself more than anyone else. You have to be sure in yourself. Otherwise, you're just going with someone else. You can't truly get behind it. Yeah. But the fact that it's going to be something that you like is no different to, like, let's say, being in a relationship or a marriage. You've got to like that person. Yeah. You can't go out with someone because your mum likes them, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you that's what makes you work really hard at mm. something. If you had to surmise your success in three words... What would those words be? Um, Optimistic, right? Menacing. Interesting. (laughs) Um, With myself, right? I like change. So I like to flip. I like it. I like change. So constantly changing, trying to be as optimistic as possible, And just being able to be menacing means that I can be passionate, that I'm passionate about something. And that gives me joy, right? You know, I want to feel excited about something because then you get this passion. And if you have a goal with the passion, then you have to kind of be menacing with yourself to get there. Yeah. 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 I like that. Loafing around, you know. So it's like deadline, you know. (laughs) Yeah. And actually sticking to a strict routine, to do the next thing and being yeah, really yeah. hard on yourself, right? This mm-hmm. is what you end up doing to yourself. Yeah. The routine is so important and I'm really bad at it, but my body loves it when I go running at a certain time every day. It's just really important. But that's super important routine. Routine. Um, it is so important. You can see I'm crap at it because I forgot about saying that. So, But routine, yeah. Routine in your work life and also routine from what I can hear in your sort of like your personal life because fitness 
helps your mental health and it does i should do more of it you know yeah i mean look i'm so imperfect i think that's the thing you know we're, we're all you know some of these leaders they seem so perfect and in all honesty we're just all so imperfect but we're all thriving uh, striving to do something great something we believe in and something that excites us and hopefully give something back you know and that's that was a lovely way to end it yeah. give something back I love that. Make our mothers proud. Make our mothers <laughs> proud. Exactly. My best friend told me when I had my first son, he said, son, be the man you want your son to be. That's beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> I think that's a lovely way mm. to close this out. So I just want to say thank you so much. No more questions, Visha. No Ooh. more questions. Ooh. I know you're off, well done. you're off the hot seat. But Brilliant. I just want to say thank you so much for your time and we didn't even give a shout out to bob who is the person that introduced us Bob Hughesby, amazing guy one of my favorite people in the world just a lovely big-hearted beautiful man bob Hughesby. yeah Good. he's the he's the best and actually because of him we're now friends so i'm just gonna thank bob for introducing you to me and again thank you for your time i really enjoyed it thank you visha it was a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to hang out with you and speak to you soon take care Hello, thank you for listening to Behind the Face of Success. I hope you've enjoyed it just as much as I have. If possible, please can I ask you to rate, review and subscribe to these podcasts as it actually helps more people find them and look out for the next episode next week.